Mothering Sunday. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life. You know what that stands for? She was post-menopause. Since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore there was born even of one man, Abraham, and him as good as dead at that. It's not polite, is it? As many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. I want you to notice this. Sarah is commended for her faith. We know a lot of scripture that talks about the faith of Abraham, but Sarah here is commended for her faith. Now, we're going to look at it in a moment, but I have to say that faith wasn't exactly her first response, but it was her better response. She was perhaps the female equivalent of those two sons that Jesus talked about. What do you think? A man had two sons. He came to the first and said, Son, go work today in the vineyard. And he answered, I'm not doing it. But afterwards, she regretted it and went. The man came to the second son and said the same thing. He said, said, I'll go. But he didn't go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Sarah was a bit like that first one. Oh, no, I'm not doing that. Oh, all right, I can't. (laughs) Second thoughts are sometimes better thoughts. Let me give you the story of Abraham and Sarah just in some headlines, okay? Um, On the back of the notes there, there's a little little spreadsheet I knocked together quickly yesterday, just Abraham's promise there. Let's just go back very, very quickly. When Abraham was 70 years of age, God called him to move out of the city environment that he was in, civilization, Ur of the Chaldees, and he moved to Terran, to Haran, with Terah, his father, and his family, wider family. Uh, Terah dies there, and Abraham moves from Haran. And he starts on a journey to a land that God was going to show him. It was, in fact, Canaan, what we know now as Palestine or Israel. And God promised him as he was setting out that not only would he give him a land, but he would give him an heir and descendants, numerous descendants, as many as the stars in the heavens and the sand on the seashore. And over the next few years, God repeats his promise to Abraham. But Abraham is getting older. Yet, it says he believed God and God counted it to him as righteousness. He accepted and adopted and received Abraham as his child, his friend, because Abraham trusted him. Abraham gets to the age of 86, and there's still no heir, still no child. So Sarah cooks up the Hagar plan. She gives her maidservant, Hagar, to Abraham as another wife. She'll have the baby. I'll call it mine. We're all done. Ishmael was born. From Ishmael were descended a whole number of people in the Middle East and from the latest on Isaac were descended the Jewish people in the Middle East and there's a whole heap of trouble to this day which comes down to family warfare between one son born not of promise and the other son born of promise to Abraham all those years ago. 13 years go by. And Abraham is 99 years of age and his son Ishmael by Hagar is now 13 years of age. And the Lord appears to Abraham and repeats his promise. And 
God, this time, spells it out really, really clearly. And the son will be born of Sarah. <laughs> not, not some surrogate, not some rented womb. Your wife Sarai, was the name at the time, will be the mother. And he tells Abraham, your name is changing. From Abram, meaning exalted father, to Abraham, father of multitudes. And Sarah, your name is going to be changed from Sarai to Sarah, to princess. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah's the name of The Lord institutes circumcision. So on that day, Abraham, 99 years of age, and uh, his son Ishmael, 13 years of age, and all the men in Abraham's extended family are circumcised. But when God makes that promise, Abraham laughs to himself and thinks inwardly, oh, yeah, Sarah's old and I'm getting on. and uh, He didn't believe at that moment, Abraham did not believe. So to back it up, because this seems to have been a, a private conversation between the Lord and Abraham, the Lord turns up at Abraham's tent. Maybe a few days later, maybe a month later, we don't know. But he turns up at his tent. Three visitors. The Lord himself, the Lord Jesus appearing to Abraham, and two angelic visitors. And they turn up at Abraham's tent, and they're talking to Abraham. And then, let me read this to you. These three visitors. Then, as they're outside the tent, they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, There, in the tent. So the Lord said to Abraham, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And look, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I've become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? There's a little, in, little, in, little uh, hint in there, which gets picked up in Romans, that, let me put this not too crudely, but Abraham was past it too. <laughs> and the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? So the Lord steps in and said, Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you. And this time next year, Sarah will have a son. Sarah denied it, however, saying, I didn't laugh. Now, you know, you can lie and get away with it with all kinds of people, but you can't lie and get away with it with God, can you? He does know. For she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. Well, there's a busy year between that appearance and the next one. Sarah falls pregnant and she carries the child. But during that year, Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah, it happens in Genesis 19. Abraham goes down to Gerah and lies about Sarah, who's probably pregnant by then, to Abimelech. But the year turns around and when he's reaching 100 years of age, Isaac is born to Abraham and Sarah. Second thoughts can be better thoughts. Abraham, when God steps in and says, no, not Ishmael, you're going to have another child and it'll be by Sarah, he laughed. And it was a laugh of, really, doubt, unbelief. 
when Sarah's kind of called out the tent and has to answer to the Lord himself about, you know, you know, did you laugh? No, I didn't laugh. But she did. Her first response, her first reaction was, no way. That ain't happening. Who would have said? If your second thoughts, though, lead to faith and obedience and overcoming doubt and disobedience, guess what? God still commends you for your faith. Faith is not always in. Sometimes it's a struggle. But God always commends you for your faith, even if it took you time to get to it. Do you hear that? Abraham and Sarah in, book, in the book of Hebrews are commended for their faith, yet we see it was a struggle for them. I like that honesty. The Bible's a remarkably honest account, quite unlike other literature from those times. We read about these people, we read about their faults, their doubts, their sins of these men and women. Sarah's second thoughts were better than her first thoughts. Here's the outcome from Genesis 21. The Lord took note of Sarah as he'd said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. I like that phrase. The Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. Well, Sarah wasn't far behind him. (laughs) At the appointed time of which he had spoken to him, Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, bore to him, Isaac. Isaac's name means laughter. <laughs> Except this is the right kind of laughter. It's not a <laughs> of doubt. This is a joy of childbirth. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. This is the one who laughed with doubt a year before. God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears me will laugh with me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Sarah got it wrong and Abraham got it very much wrong on a number of occasions. But second thoughts are better than first thoughts very often. And Sarah's held up in the New Testament as an example to Christian women. Here's the teaching of 1 Peter. In the same way you wives, be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word by the behaviour of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behaviour. Your adornment must not... Be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewellery, putting on dresses. But let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children. That's a privilege to Sarah, isn't it? She's like the matriarch of all godly women, an example to all Christian women, to all mothers. If you become her children, if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. This verse, in this one verse in Hebrews 11, verse 11, by faith Sarah, 
conceived. Has one clear point to make. The fact that she was able to conceive in old age, past menopause, was because she believed the promise of God. When Sarah said, who, who would have said? Well, she knew who said. God had said. And because God had said, it would be so long as you're going to believe him and trust him. God said. That's who said. You know, we've got all kinds of people with all kinds of opinions in the world today. Here's my Bible. Here's one of my Bibles. I've got a few cups of Bible, obviously. Do you know what I have to live by? What God has said. I don't care what they say. I don't care reading and sense what you say. I want to know what God says. Because his truth is life-changing. It has real authority. It's not an opinion. It's authoritative. It was not only Abraham's faith, but also through Sarah's faith, that the promise that Abraham would have numberless descendants became active in and through Ishmael. Let me put it really bluntly here. It was all very well Abraham believing the promise of God that he'd have a son by Sarah and Abraham having his virility and strength restored. But if Sarah hadn't come to faith as well, it wouldn't have happened. They were in partnership in this. It needed the two of them to be joined in faith and then in marital intimacy for the promised son, Isaac, to be conceived. Sarah became a mother. Abraham and Sarah became parents because God said it would be so. And they both believed him, albeit they had to step up to believing him. They had to overcome something to get there. So this is about birth by faith. Faith for birth. There's a lesson here, of course, for natural parenthood. In his wisdom, the Lord took both Abraham and Sarah beyond the time of practicality and possibility until they both needed divine intervention to conceive a child. It just wasn't going to happen unless God helped them. Sarah was past childbearing. Abraham was just, well, past it. Yet God's promise was more powerful than their condition. You see, when God says something, it doesn't matter if you say, well, that doesn't work for me. His promise enables the work to work. God's promise makes things happen. You know? We don't make things happen. Our faith doesn't make things happen. We simply trust Him who is powerful enough to make things happen. He has the authority to change. I felt that. <laughs> Is that no still on? Ooh, I didn't watch him walking around with Jesus. Um, where was I? It isn't our faith that makes things happen, but our faith is simply relying on God and hanging on to God. His power, His authority, His wisdom makes things happen. Otherwise, it happens the best way I can do it. And do you know what? When he does it, it's altogether better than the way I would have done it. God's promise met eventually their wavering faith, became unwavering faith, became steadfast faith. In fact, it seemed that the longer it took, the stronger they got. Paul writing to Romans refers to Abraham about this faith. 
I want to read this to you. For this reason, salvation, knowing God, being saved by grace through faith, is by faith in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. For as it is written, a father of many nations have I made you. In the presence of him whom he believed, even God who calls life to the dead and calls into being things which do not, did, did not exist in hope against hope. Do you like that phrase? It's like, am, am I hoping? Yeah, I'm hoping. I'm still hoping. In hope against hope, Abraham believed so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. It doesn't spare them anything, does it? This. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. I, I think that there was a process that Abraham and Sarah had to reason for faith. Maybe they had to pull each other up. Maybe one was having a good day and one was having a bad, was having a bad day sometimes. And they had to encourage one another to keep trusting God. That's a bit of my imagination. But it took the two of them in partnership of faith to see this thing through. They had to argue for hope. But God has said, says Sarah to Abraham one day, and another day, Abraham said to Sarah, 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 God has said. So they hoped against hope and reasoned their faith and argued their faith according to the promise of God, choosing to believe God's promises to them. Now you can apply this wider than trusting God for a child. What is it that you know the Lord has spoken to you? And maybe like Abraham, not just once but repeatedly, perhaps over many years, as he did with Abraham. I'm not trying to knock you, but have you, have you given up believing him? Being obedient, being prepared? Or are you holding on to faith, even if it's hope against hope? Looking to the promise of God, assured that what he's promised is able to do. I'm just going to give you this headline. Choose faith again today. Trust him. Obey him. Hold on to his promises. That may be about begetting children or getting into something in the future that God has already told you about. In my heart, there's this kind of... I, I've always had a, a pull to overseas and I haven't been doing it for quite a few years now and I just feel this time for me and for us. So we'll see where, where, where Thursday goes. But I, I sense this is something we should do. When you've got children, guess what? You've got to raise them, haven't you? Once Abraham and Sarah had Isaac, they had to raise Isaac. You know, sometimes people can be heard saying that they want a baby, but not many people go around saying, I want a tantruming toddler. <laughs> I can't wait until I've got a whining teenager. <laughs> children grow and children need to be raised. I thought uh, Carmelo was going to preach my sermon. Well <laughs> done, Carmelo. They don't grow up well without parental care and instruction. If you leave them to themselves, mm -mm. 
Parents are the single most significant factor in the development of a child through to adulthood. Not school, not society, parents. So mothers and fathers, you are not just raising children, as Camillo said, God ahead of me, you are raising Christians, children for God. You're pointing them to Jesus. That's your call. That's your responsibility. Teach them to do the shoelaces and read and stuff and all that kind of thing. Make them able people, responsible people, good citizens. But good citizens is good, but it isn't enough. Good citizens and Christians who love the Lord Jesus. And the thing is, little children, very little children can develop a love for the Lord Jesus. They can find delight in reading, even if it's a picture storybook of the life of Jesus. There's something that latches into the heart early on when we talk to them about Jesus. So forget Richard Dawkins and all the rest of his nonsense about indoctrinating children. We need to indoctrinate our children. We need to teach them sound doctrine. It's not about do's and don'ts. It's not about law. It's, about, it's all about Jesus. Amen, Carmel. Point them to Jesus. Teach them about Jesus. Let his name be familiar to them. And his life be a story they know well. Here's scripture instruction on it. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with the promise that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, parents, but fathers it says specifically here. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up, raise them, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Raise them in the discipline and instruction, not, of your, not even of your household rules, even of your culture. Primarily, firstly, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Number one priority. We're not just raising kids, we're raising Christians. Children for God. How do you do that? Well, in our readings through Deuteronomy, how many are you doing the Bible reading plan? That's three of us. <laughs> no, it's more like five. I try to stay on top. Carl says, sorry for you, you've got all day, you're a pastor. <laughs> but I fall behind some days, nevertheless. Deuteronomy 6, here's biblical wisdom on raising children. You ever read that? Okay, let's go through it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. Now, I'm applying this to parents, mums and dads. You love the Lord. Yeah? And let his word be in your heart. You know the, the thing they do on the airplane, I've said it before, when the oxygen mask, mask drops, put it on your own face and then help someone next to you. You, know? you need to be a Christian loving the Lord Jesus reading and obeying his word before you talk to anybody about anything. Including your children. It needs to be true about you. True in you. He's your Lord. He's your master. He's your shepherd. And this word is his word to you. That being so, 
You shall teach them diligently to your sons, includes daughters, and shall talk of them when you sit in your home, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and there shall be frontals on your foot. That's why Orthodox Jews do those, 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 those tefillim. They bind these little bits of scripture in, in leather boxes on their wrists and on their heads and so on. You don't have to do it literally. This is, this is to be applied spiritually. You know, you kind of, you've got the word of God written kind of all over everything you're doing. You, you, you're comparing how you live to God's word and adjusting it to, be, to please him and to bring glory to him. You should write them on the doorposts of your gates and on houses and on your gates as well. A writer called Reggie Joyner, who I don't know, but Maxwell, who I do, quotes him, says this. If you analyse those things, things here, in terms of leadership or parenthood, significant kind of leadership, relationship comes before rules. You, you should love the Lord, your God, with all your heart. Relationship comes before rules. You know, uh, please, love your kids before you rule your kids before you lay down the law. Make sure you lay down love. Truth must be in you before it can be in them. Please don't do the hypocrisy thing because kids do see it, you know. Don't do as I do, do as I say. There's a word for that, it's called hypocrisy. It's not nice. Do what you do and then explain what you do so they do too. Faith, truth must be in you before it can be in them. Each day offers natural opportunities for teaching. Notice them. When you sit at home, mealtime. When you walk along the road, travel time. Actually, the original American version said drive time. Typical American. (laughs) When you lie down, bedtime. When you get up, get ready time. And lastly, repetition is the teacher's best friend. You keep on doing it, you keep on saying it. I want you to notice something there. There's something missing from that list of when you talk to your children, when you talk about the Lord. It doesn't mention work. Because everybody needs to do some work somewhere along the way. The Holy Spirit does not say at work. The times of conversation and instruction are all around times outside of work. So this isn't beyond any of us. We can all take hold of these kinds of minutes when you're sitting having a meal, so long as the TV's off and you're talking together. When you get up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, when you're on a journey, travelling together. So don't, please, don't complain, I don't have time. You need to redeem those minutes. You need to maximise the potential of just those little times. Getting up, going to bed, travelling in the car, having a meal. The Lord didn't add anything more to that list because those are everyday realities which we can redeem and make purposeful. We must treasure these family times, these family minutes, moments. To do that, we've got to deal with the many distractions that fill our time so that many of us feel we don't have any spare time. Do you know why? Because it's all been robbed from us. By social media and TV and telephone and all kinds of stuff. So here's what to do, alright? Prune it, cut it, eradicate it, disconnect it, switch it off, unsubscribe from all those emails, block it out, quit it. Redeem the time. 
You only, it's coming back particularly to children now, you only have them for so long. Yes. You know? Many of us will oh, be, be alright when they go to school and then, you, then when they go, start to go to school you regret they're not around all the time. Mm-hmm. You kind of regret they're going to school. Mm-hmm. We have to maximise the time we have with our family mm-hmm. and do some good with it. Focus on your family and raise them to know the Lord Jesus. Take hold of the promises of Scripture concerning your family, your children, and argue them to your faith and then argue them back in prayer to God. Lord, this is what you say about, about the children of believing people. Please, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm looking to you to do this. I'm asking you for this. Spill those, prof- those promises out in your prayers for your family. And mums, I know you generally take the large part in this and we applaud you. Be a great Christian mum for the glory of God. Jeez. And when your own children are raised, guess what? You ain't finished. Because Titus 2 verse 4 says that older ladies are to encourage the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonoured. There's a mentoring and a discipling still to be done by those who have grown up and have raised their own children. But finally, um, sorry, Andy, little task for you. Could you tell them that we'll be ready in about 10 minutes' time for them? We're not going to run up to quarter two today. Thank you. Expanding this a bit here, faith for birth. What about faith for new birth? What about faith for new believers? Not natural childbirth this time, however divinely ordered and miraculously delivered. We're thinking now of being born of God, born of the Spirit. I know these are really foundational scriptures, many of you will know by heart. Let's go to them nevertheless. One evening, night time, a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, one of the Sanhedrin, the council of Jerusalem, came to Jesus by night, so that no one could see him doing it, and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, that's the verily, verily in the King James, or amen, amen, literally, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus kind of understood this literally and he goes under this horrible thought. How can a man be born when he's old? He can't enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of humans is human. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. At the start of that Gospel in John chapter 1, John writes this, There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him, through Jesus, and the world did not know him. He came to his own. Applies two ways, to humanity and to the Jewish people. And those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the power, 
the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, humanity, nor of the will of man, but of God. On Mother's Day, when we honour the women who gave birth to us and raised us, let me ask you this direct question. Are you born again? Born of God. Have you been born by the Spirit of God? Did His sovereign grace and power reach you at some point in your life and change you? Do you know that you're a child of God, that you're born of the Holy Spirit? Did you become new at some point? So in your life there is an old and a new. There was a change by this rebirth. Are you following and becoming more like your elder brother and master, the Lord Jesus? You know, people run all sorts of myths and stories about why or how we do or do not get to heaven. You know? You've probably heard many of them. Um, And different religions have different (coughs) customs and traditions of teaching about, you know, all your good deeds are put in this side of the weighing scales and your bad ones on that side, or or you get an interview with some guardian angel. (sighs) Someone came from heaven and told us, his name is Jesus. The Son of God came from heaven and gave us this message. To see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. No other way. That's what it is. Instead of George Whitfield, the, the 18th century preacher, 1700s, that he would travel around the country and, and he pre- pretty much had one sermon. It had different kind of bits of scriptures and things and the way he said it at different times. But wherever he was, he would be pray, pray, preaching, you must be born again. And one Lord of the realm came along to him, Mr. Whitfield, because he was a tremendous preacher. And he said, well, it's a very good sermon, Mr. Whitfield, but you only seem to preach on you must be born again. It becomes a little tedious. And Whitfield looked him in the eye and said, my Lord, it's because you must be born again. Every one of us, same truth. You must be born again. If you don't know that is true, you can ask God today to bring you into faith in Jesus, into new birth, into a beginning of a life of knowing Him. I'm Christian. You and I. Us folk have been around for a while and we've been Christians for some time. How's your faith? for new birth. Do you have faith that people will come to know the Lord Jesus being born of God and joined his people? Now, I want to set God in the primary position here. God is fully committed to bringing millions, if not billions of people to honour his son because his son died on the cross for them. He's going to give them his inherit- he's going to give him, Jesus, his inheritance from the nations. There are people in every nation of the world who must be brought to Jesus because he deserves them. They are his. They're to bow the knee to him. Not by some uh, Western nation overtaking them, not by boots on the ground as they talk about, simply by the good news of Jesus going into every place and through the good news being preached and declared and proclaimed and chatted and talked about and, 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 and taught through and example, the good news itself brings a harvest of people to faith in Jesus. 
God is committed to doing that. That's why this world continues and why God hasn't closed it down so far. Scripture tells us the Lord has determined that end of the age will come and the eradication of sin and death from his creation. But he delays that day because, and this is scripture, he is patient towards us, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. The reason Jesus he hasn't come this week is because there's still people to be brought to him. That's what the Bible says. And maybe those people are in Pakistan or somewhere. Maybe they're in Hala. Maybe they're in your family. God is passionate about honouring his son by gathering a harvest from the nations. So have faith that people you know could come to know the Lord Jesus. Have faith for them. How does that work? Number one, you pray for them. As you pray for them, God opens your heart to them. And when there is an opportunity to talk, you see it as an opportunity because you've been praying. You pray for them. Pray for your family. Pray for workmates. Pray for neighbours. Pray for strangers. Pray for people you don't know at all, but they live out in those worlds where we talk about you know, Islamic nations. Do you know there are many believers in those so-called Islamic nations? Christian believers. Some of them are terribly persecuted, but they're there. They're there. Which is why my heart particularly wants to help some of them. Pray for them. Pray that people will be brought to Jesus day after day across the planet. And then when you have opportunity, talk to them. The best conversation starts with them asking a question. It always does. You know, some people are evangelists. Um, we're talking about someone the other day, you know. Um, people who can turn, hi, how are you doing, to talking about Jesus, like in, where did that happen? <laughs> how do you do that? I'm, I'm not one of those. But some people are. And the problem is, people who are evangelists think we should all be like them. Well, hey, I'm a teacher and I want everybody to be like me, but it don't work. God makes us different. And he gives us different gifts. And he gives us different qualities and abilities. And, you know, God bless those people who can kind of walk into a tea shop and be talking about Jesus while even while they're buying their tea. You know? Literally at the counter. It's like, what? I've, tra- I've travelled with people like that and I'm like, I-, I don't know whether to do that. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's like extraordinary. I know other people who pray for people who are sick, like everywhere, all the time. Um, well, that's tremendous. They, they, they have, they, they, God's put faith in them to do that. I'm not challenging any one of you to have that kind of gift and that kind of faith. I'm just saying this. If you are praying for people, when they ask a question... When there's an opening, when there's an opportunity, you'll see it because you've been praying. Yeah. And then what do you do? You, you explain. You give an answer. This is, this is where my faith is. I, I, I trust in Jesus, who died for me. You talk about him. Talk about him more than you talk about yourself. It's safer ground, really. Yeah. They, they'll say, yeah, but you've got flaws, and you've, you've this and that. You say, hey, do you know what? Everybody in my Bible's got mistakes and flaws except Jesus. That's why I follow him. I keep talking about Jesus. And when they, they've had enough, they don't want to ask any more questions, you stop. Because very often, 
People are one to the Lord Jesus not by one conversation, not even by three, but by many over a period of time, drop by drop by drop by drop. You see, if the Holy Spirit is at work, that doesn't go away. That stays there working until the next time. So next time you start the conversation, you're not starting from scratch. You're adding another layer. You're adding another layer. You're helping people to move from way over here, I don't know Jesus, I don't believe in Jesus, to eventually, I believe in Jesus. I can think, I'm going to try and get some people here for our international day, not who are kind of local dignitaries this time. Well, the two of them don't want to come, but anyway. Um, but people who are in places of responsibility in Harlow, and a few years ago didn't be, used to be Christians, but now are. And I'd like to just celebrate with them, you know, their faith in Jesus. They've moved from way over there, I don't believe, I don't believe at all, to, to now going to church and say, and say publicly, I'm a Christian now. Amen. Remember one of them, he's one of the counsellors saying, it gives me the greatest delight to confess to people, I'm a Christian now. I think, you bet it does. <laughs> all heaven smiles at you when you do it, mate, that's why. You know the joy of God settles in your heart, just lands on you when you confess Jesus to people. You go, whoa, that's, hey, great, joy of God. So talk to them. And then have faith. See, this is not about how hard you work. Yeah? It's about God giving new birth to them by a miracle, giving faith to them by his sovereign purpose. So all you're doing is you're just... Delivering the message, delivering, explaining, talking, caring, sharing. And at some point, God breaks in and delivers them across, across, the, across the line into his kingdom. Again, apply Deuteronomy 6. Make use of moments and minutes. If someone asks you to explain the gospel and say, well, uh, I haven't got a lunch hour until Wednesday, can we do it then? You know, say... Okay, do you want to get a coffee? We'll just walk to get a coffee and back. And take three minutes. Yeah? I've been saying to people that, you know, when you're explaining something to somebody, you need to have a three-hour version, a 30-minute version, and a three-minute version, and even a 30-second version. You need to know how to say things short if you've only got short time to do it. Make use of moments and minutes. Yeah? Walking into the office, walking for getting a coffee, whatever else. People will come to faith and then grow in faith as we give them time after time, piece after piece, day after day, week after week. And I'm going to get some examples here, I hope, of people for whom that is absolutely true here in Ireland. The problem with all discipleship courses is we think that when we've done one, we're done. But I, I'm not done yet. Following Jesus, learning, growing. We spend a whole life growing in faith and obedience and discipleship to our Master Jesus. It takes a whole lifetime. That's why it's not about a course. It's about a lifestyle. And as we live a lifestyle of following Jesus, people will notice. Some people won't like it. It's too bad. Others will be attracted. Be curious. Will want to ask questions. And he, again, Peter writes, let every one of us have an answer for the hope that is in us. All you've got to do is, you don't have to, be, you don't have to become you know, like one of them, they're evangelist guys, you know. There's something else. 
You just need to have an answer. That means you need to kind of know answers. But you know what? The more you answer questions, the more you talk, the easier it is. I mean, when JW's poor souls come to my front door, I know exactly where I'm going to go with them because I've done it a few times now. They think they're going to take me here. I'm going to take them there. I've got an answer. Yeah? And the more that you just talk about the Lord Jesus and share the gospel with people, the more you'll find you've got a ready answer. You know what to say. You know where to go. Faith for new birth. But to tie it up now. It is Mothering Sunday. So mums, have a great day. May God's blessing be upon you. May his joy be in you. I trust someone else is cooking lunch today. (laughs) Have a great day together, a great time. Shall we pray together? Abraham was a man of faith, even though he, he, he wasn't always there. He had his doubts, he had his wonderings. Sarah was a woman of faith, yet she had to be kind of one to it. And then for a year, as I'm guessing, almost a year, Abraham and Sarah had to encourage one another and stir one another on to keep trusting God. But it all starts with this. A first prayer that deposits your trust in Jesus. I was asking earlier, are you born again? And this morning, it is perhaps time for someone here to say your first prayer in a very long time, perhaps ever. And it can be a really simple prayer. It's, it's to talk to Jesus and ask him to, to help you. To forgive you. And to draw you to follow him. Let me become a Christian following you, the Lord, Lord Jesus. Very simple prayer. Why don't you take a moment right now, quietly, bring that prayer to the Lord Jesus. Would you let me follow you? Could I be forgiven and have a new start? Please. If you've prayed that prayer this morning, if you just mention it to one of us around the place. We've got some uh, New Testaments and some Bibles around the place and uh, we'll pick one out for you. you take, take a copy of the Scriptures home today so you can do some reading during the weekend. Read a Gospel, get to know the Lord Jesus better. And we're around, we've got groups during the week. You can, you can be involved in one or even two to begin to grow. To mention, Joe mentioned earlier, Andy has a men's group here on a Wednesday as well. Ladies, talk to one of our ladies. They'll direct you where to find help with the ladies' groups as well. Now, Lord, I pray for every one of us that we may grow 
in faith, hope against hope, doubting our doubts, holding on to your promise, so that when the little voice goes off in our heads, who said that? Our reply is, God said it. And I trust him. May we grow in faith. We acknowledge our weaknesses, we acknowledge that sometimes it's a struggle, it's a wrestle. But nevertheless, we thank you that from the evidence of scripture here, those who endure hope against hope, doubting their doubts, you commend in the long run for their faith. We're glad to join that company. We're no better than them. But you are the same God to us as you were to them. Bless fathers and mothers, I pray, as they raise their children. Bless those of us who have responsibility for others to see them nurtured and encouraged and to grow in God too. Let this parenthood, this thing that you design, calling yourself father towards us, your children, may parenthood be honoured. May we build it ever stronger, even while society seems to want to pull it down. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you for listening. I did go a bit longer than I thought.